Hello, welcome. Thank you for clicking this button today and joining us for this time that we'll have together. Pastor Alan is here continuing our sermon series uh, through the book of John. And I just want to pray a blessing over you that whatever you're doing, that God may speak to you during this time. And stay connected to what's happening here at Christ Community. You can visit our website, download our app, and see all the things that are uh, going on here. And after the sermon today, Nate, Pastor Nate and I will be here with Pastor Alan to talk about his message. So stick around for that too. All right, here's the sermon. Enjoy. Hey, Christ community, so glad you are joining us. We are in the midst of a teaching series in which we are walking through the book of John, which is an amazing eyewitness description of Jesus' life and ministry. And today we come to a passage in which the entire trajectory of this story begins to shift. You know how it feels when a, when a cold front comes in and suddenly the temperature drops about 15 degrees? That's metaphorically what happens in the life of Jesus right here in this passage. Up to this point in the book of John, things have been going really smoothly. He's gathered some disciples. People are responding to his teaching. An entire village in Samaria comes to Christ, comes to know Jesus, right, and believe in him. And in the midst of this, Jesus does some amazing miracles, turning water to wine and healing a royal official's son. And then last week from John 5, Pastor Dudley walked us through the, the miracle Jesus did at, in, in Bethesda, where a, a man who had been crippled for 38 years was, was made well. I mean, talk about an incredible miracle. Everything seems to be trending up and to the right for Jesus and his ministry. But it's in this moment that a significant conflict occurs. And it all has to do with a particular claim that Jesus makes about himself. He claims to be God. Now, that's not the sort of claim that can easily be dismissed or, or ignored. That's the sort of claim that demands a response. And not just from those in the story in John 5. It demands a response from all of us. If Jesus is God, that has some huge implications for all of humanity. This particular claim of Jesus becomes a delineating and defining moment for every human being. It demands a response. Now, what we see in this passage are two very different ways of responding to this claim with two very different results. So the first response we see to this claim of Jesus being God is what I would call canceling Jesus. You know, over the past few years, in the midst of all the polarization and division in our society, there's emerged this thing called cancel culture. It's, it's this idea of promoting the, the canceling of someone when they do or say something that is offensive or problematic to our particular ideology. And social media has helped facilitate an environment that enables this sort of canceling of people to happen all the time. But the idea, this idea of canceling someone is nothing new. I mean, it, 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 it's exactly what we see happening in John 5. Immediately after Jesus performed this amazing miracle of healing and this paralyzed, healing this paralyzed man, John tells us in verse 16, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath laws. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. This is cancel culture on steroids, right? These guys are suddenly focusing their energy on eliminating Jesus, killing him. They want him gone completely. And notice the reason. It's not simply the fact that Jesus broke some Sabbath rules by healing a guy. No, John makes it very clear. 
here, what, what caused them to want to eliminate and kill Jesus, what caused it was his claim to be God. He spoke of himself as being equal with God. And so these religious leaders zealously start trying to cancel Jesus, to terminate him, right? To eliminate him, to kill him so that he would no longer be spreading this blasphemy. Now, it's at, at, at this point, one would th- one would think that Jesus might seriously consider backing off a little bit, maybe making a public apology or explaining that he had been misinterpreted or maybe taking a sabbatical or, you know, slowing down the the speaking engagements. I mean, today when someone faces the threat of being canceled, they immediately try to minimize the damage, you know, retract their statement, apologize. Most people try to retract their statement or apologize for their behavior or words or whatever, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't retract his claim to be God. In fact, he doubles down on it. He doubles down. He takes this moment to make sure everyone understands exactly what he is claiming. Verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. What Jesus is describing here is absolutely incredible. He is describing his relationship with God the Father. For one thing, it's a relationship of complete dependence. This is not some competitive Greek mythological battle between gods. No, this is a relationship in which Jesus is submitted to and dependent upon God the Father. It's also a relationship of intimacy. Jesus says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. This is a love relationship. The Father and the Son are bound together in love, by love, a love that discloses to each other, which is a mark of intimacy. And then Jesus explains that this relationship is also an incredibly powerful partnership where Jesus and the Father are doing miracles, including raising the dead. Now, as if this wasn't offensive enough, Jesus then takes this one step, one significant step further in verse 22. Check this out. In addition, he said, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge. Verse 25, the Father has life in himself, and he has granted the same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. See, this is astounding what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that God the Father has delegated to Jesus the Son the absolute authority to judge So what does that mean exactly? Well, this word judge means to distinguish between good and evil in a discriminatory way. Then look, this is a big deal, especially in our culture. I mean, who determines what is right and wrong in our culture? Personal preference, public opinion, social media, our particular political party, whatever that happens to be, the people with the most power or money. Who determines what is right and what is wrong? That's a really important question. And our society is providing a ready-made answer. You do. You determine. Each person determines what is right or wrong for themselves. I mean, this reality is what I've heard referred to as the sovereign self. This is our society. In our society today, self is sovereign. Self is king. No one has the right to tell you what is right or wrong. You determine that for yourself. So into this reality, Jesus makes this earth-shattering claim. 
He is God. He is king. He is judge. In other words, he is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is not good, what is whole and what is destructive. So how do we feel about that? How do you feel about Jesus being the one to determine what is right and what is wrong? How do you feel about Jesus being the one who sets the standard for how we spend our money or how we express our sexuality or how we treat our enemies? I mean, can we just be honest and admit often our response to Jesus' claim is very similar to the religious leaders? Let's cancel this Jesus guy, right? Let's cancel him. We, we maybe give lip service to him, but we're not aligning every area of our lives with him. We're, we're not going to let him influence the choices we make in this particular area. We're not going to let, let him determine what is right and what is wrong in our lives. We want to be the one who determined that. We want to be king of our own lives, of our own choices. Do you see why this claim was so earth-shattering to the Jewish leaders and why this claim is so earth-shattering to us today? It changes everything. It changes everything. It, it, it cuts to the core of how we live. All right, so that's one very common response to the claim of Jesus. He claims to be God, and we, in our hearts, decide to cancel that claim, to ignore that claim, at least in certain areas. And as we're going to see, this particular response, while initially sounding appealing, it actually leads to emptiness and devastation. <coughs> Well, there's a second response that Jesus clearly lays out for us. And as we'll see, this particular response leads to life. So what is this life-giving response to this claim that Jesus is God? Well, Jesus tells us here in the next few verses. Look with me at verse 23 and following. So that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. There's the response. Those who listen will live. If Jesus is God, then we are to honor him as God. And the way we honor him as God is to listen to his teaching. It is to choose to align every part of our lives with him. Now, there's a word that John uses here in this passage that we just read to just further describe this response. It's the word believe. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me <clears throat> have eternal life. This is John's continual message throughout this book. Those who believe in Jesus experience life. But unfortunately, we have to unpack that in our culture because unfortunately in our culture, the word believe is often used to describe something that John is not talking about. See, in our, in our culture, to believe simply means believing facts about something or intellectual belief. A lot of people intellectually believe that Jesus lived, he died on the cross. In the book of James, later in the New Testament, James tells us that even demons believe that. So for John... Um, for, for John, this, this, this idea of believing means so much more <clears throat> than that. I was playing golf, in a golf tournament a few weeks ago, and as is often the case, around hole seven, um, the guy I was playing with asked me what I do for a living. And I hate that question <clears throat> because once I tell him I'm a pastor, 
it just makes everything really awkward and uncomfortable. And the guy starts thinking about any cuss words that he's used on the first few holes. And it just feels awkward. But in this case, <clears throat> when, when he found out I was a pastor, he seemed somewhat interested. And so I asked him about his own spiritual background. And, and he said, yeah, I haven't been to church in years. I did go to church. He said, I'd get a church service a few years ago, but I didn't like what people were wearing. They were so casual, all that. And, and I haven't been back since. <clears throat> so then he said that. And then as he got up to hit his tee shot, he made this comment, but I believe in all. And I've thought a lot about that statement since that happened. What does he, what does he mean that he believes? He doesn't worship Jesus. He doesn't think about Jesus. He's not in any way intentionally choosing to align his life with Jesus, but he says he believes in Jesus. So what, what does he mean that he believes? For him, believing simply means believing some information about Jesus. And maybe he learned in Sunday school a long time ago. And what, what's so sad about that is that in his mind, this is, this is really all that Jesus requires and invites us to. Just believe the right information about him. But, but my heart longs for this man to experience what Jesus actually came to earth to bring us, to bring to us, and that's life. Jesus says those who listen will live. Those who seek to honor Jesus and to love him and to align their lives with his life and his teaching, they will experience life in him. <clears throat> now, I love how Jesus talks about this life that we can experience in him. He refers to it as eternal life, <clears throat> which we typically think means something in the future, but eternal life is actually a reality in the present and in the future. So later in, in John 17, John, Jesus says in a prayer to God, he says, now this is eternal life. Here's the definition, that they may know you. So eternal life speaks to a quality of life, a spring living water welling up within us now, an experiential relationship with God. So Jesus told the woman, which is what Jesus told the woman at the well in, in, in chapter four. So when we choose to listen to Jesus' word, to live in vibrant faith in him, we experience eternal life now. We experience fullness of life now. But Jesus also uses this word to speak to a future reality. Verse 28, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise <clears throat> to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. See, G Jesus is claiming that every person's experience of eternity is dependent upon whether or not they listen to his voice. This is the continual message throughout eternity. Those who listen to the voice of Jesus will live. So Jesus makes it clear that his message is for us now, and it has huge implications for our future. Jesus is fully claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the delineating factor in terms of all of history. Those who listen to him, i.e. those who honor him, will experience life. See, that's the choice that we have every moment of every day. That's the response that Jesus claimed to be God warrants. Rather than canceling Jesus, we choose to fully embrace him as Lord, as God, as King over our lives. So let me share an example I found myself wrestling with recently. So there are a number of hot button issues today, very important issues like gun violence or immigration. And as I've been thinking about these very complex issues, I've, I've been realizing how so often in the past, I would automatically align myself with the, my political party on these issues. And, and, and how there's often some significant implicit pressure to do so, to kind of fit into my tribe, right? But what if 
<clears throat> when I begin prayerfully looking at how Jesus might want me to respond, what if I come to a different conclusion than my political party? How willing am I to say yes to Jesus in that instance, to not fit in on a particular issue? Now, I'm not saying there are easy answers to these issues or that every Christ follower will agree with my particular conclusion or whatever, but I am saying that if, if, if I'm a follower if I'm a follower of a Jesus who claimed to be God, then I need to start with Jesus when I'm determining any particular opinion about any issue, right? And sometimes that's not easy, especially when it involves going against the prevailing view of our friends or our political party that we're affiliated with. But it seems to me that that's what Jesus' claim warrants in our lives. He is God. He's God. So am I allowing him? Are you and I allowing him to be God in our lives? Those who listen to him will live. Okay, so that raises a question. How do we listen to Jesus? How do we hear his word in such a way that it stirs this belief, this, this trust in our hearts? Well, Jesus actually tells us in this passage, he gives us two specific ways to better listen to him. First is by paying attention to the testimony of other people. Look at verse 31. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid, but someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp and you were excited for a while about his message. See, Jesus is inviting these leaders to listen to the testimony of John the Baptist, who, as we saw in chapter one, spoke very clearly about who Jesus is to these religious leaders. So Jesus is saying, listen to the testimony of trusted people. You know, when, when I think back to my golfing friend, <clears throat> I wonder how would his faith be impacted if he and his wife started coming to a church and hearing teaching and testimonies about what Jesus is doing in people's lives. I mean, we, we need that. We all need that. We, we need the testimony of other people who are walking this journey as well. And, 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 and we remind each other that Jesus is alive and that he is at work. We need each other. I mean, if we're trying to follow Jesus on our own without being in a small group or being in some relationships where we're close to each other and sharing what Jesus is doing in our lives, we're making the journey a lot more difficult. Being in community is vital for our faith to be vibrant. It helps us listen to Jesus. Okay, which leads to the second way to listen to Jesus and have our belief in him stirred. And that's by looking afresh at his word. Look with me beginning in verse 20, 36. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You've never heard his voice or seen him face to face and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Verse 45, yet it isn't I who will accuse you by the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? See, God has given us a tool, a resource 
that points us to Jesus, that helps us see his miracles in his heart and his teaching. And that resource is the Bible, the scriptures. And the, the boldness of Jesus here is astounding. He is saying to these religious leaders who know the Old Testament backwards and forwards, he's saying to them, look, if you don't believe that I'm God, just look at your very own scriptures. I mean, this is huge. At the heart of the Jewish faith is Torah, is the law, and it's Moses who, who gave the law, right? The first five books of the Old Testament. That's at the heart of their religion. These religious leaders revered Moses. They held in high honor the scriptures, including the law and the prophets. So for the Jews, the word, their Bible was everything. And Jesus is saying, look, if you don't believe that I'm God, then look again at Moses who gave you your law because Moses agrees with me. The Torah, the law, the Mosaic scriptures actually point to me as being God in the flesh, the Messiah. But the Jewish leaders missed it. They knew, look, they knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, but they missed the point. Jesus. And notice, really important here, Jesus is not throwing out the scriptures. He's affirming the value of the Bible and pointing us to him in helping us see and understand the words and the works of Jesus. In the scriptures, we are able to hear the voice of Jesus, to listen to his teaching and to align our hearts with him. So look, friends, let's, let's not make the same mistake that the religious leaders made. I mean, look, we can get so focused on knowing all this information in the Bible and studying the Bible and putting up charts and all that stuff. But the primary question is, do I love Jesus more? Am I patterning my life more and more after his teaching? I'm at some level. Who cares if I know what the seals and bowls in the book of Revelation represent? If my life is not looking more and more like Jesus, who cares if I've memorized large portions of scripture, if my heart is not becoming more and more humble and more loving? We can study the Bible and know all sorts of information about the Bible and in the Bible and yet miss Jesus in the process. All right, so let me offer a practical next step for all of us. Let me just ask, are you taking time in your regular routine to listen to Jesus' words to his teaching? Do you have time in your schedule where you get alone with Jesus and you read his word prayerfully, opening your heart to what he might want to say to you? What does Jesus want to say to you about the political issues of our day? What does Jesus want to say to you about your relationships or about your priorities? What if you carved out a few minutes in the morning or evening to get alone with Jesus and ask him to speak to you from his word? And then you read it slowly and prayerfully. What is Jesus saying to you? Man, I would encourage you to consider starting in the book of John, which would be a great place to start. Another resource I've recently discovered is an app called Lectio 365. It, it has a morning and an evening devotional that you can read or listen to. I love to just listen to it. It takes about 10 minutes. Each one is unique for that day. <clears throat> they lead you in some stillness and prayer and then scripture and time to listen to the Lord. Whatever works for you, my, my encouragement to all of us is to make time for Jesus and for his word in our lives. Let him speak to you from his word. If you have maybe gotten out of the habit of having a quiet time with God, get that started again. Imagine the impact over weeks and months if we build this into our lives. I mean, what, what, what would happen is that the words and the teaching and the miracles of Jesus would become more and more a part of our thoughts and our desires. Our love for him would grow. I mean, that, that's what this is ultimately about. Look, friends, it's, it's ultimately about loving Jesus. 
Right after this rebuke regarding the scriptures, Jesus says to these religious leaders, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. And I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Ouch. I mean, look, that's what Jesus is ultimately after, that we would have in our hearts and our lives the same love that he experiences with the Father. Jesus is saying that the word, the Bible, is a critically important resource to help us grow in our love relationship with him, our aligning our hearts with his heart. All right, so here's the bottom line of this whole passage. Jesus claims to be God. Look, there's no missing this, no matter how long you spend on a porch with a Jehovah Witness or whatever. Jesus couldn't be clearer in this passage. He claims to be one with the Father. He claims to be the giver of life and the one who judges good and evil. That's what he claims. And the question is, what is your response to that claim? What is my response to that claim? Is it to cancel Jesus? to ignore his claim in certain areas of my life or to just kind of go along with the prevailing view of the particular tribe that I happen to be a part of or the social media influences we follow, to do my own thing is, is, and, and to reap the consequences of that choice? Or is our response a joyful, willful decision to listen to Jesus? to align our opinions and our decisions and our choices with his teaching, with his word. I mean, Jesus is clear. Those who listen will live. The choices we make, those choices we make will lead to life. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we quiet our hearts before you and we ask you to speak to us. So as you are prayerfully just quieting your heart, I want to invite you to a couple different responses here. First of all, maybe you have never placed your trust in Jesus' work on the cross for you. Jesus says, when you do that, you will pass from death to life. You will, you will, be, you will be saved. You will experience life in him. So if you've never done that, man, just pray with me right now. Just pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I place my trust in you alone. Come live in me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in community and their relationship with you by just being around a healthy community of of other believers by growing in your word. Help them grow, Lord. Now for the rest of us, here's a couple other responses here. Well, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in, this, in response to Jesus' teaching, his claim to be God? Are there any areas of your life in which you are consciously or subconsciously choosing to cancel Jesus, to not follow him, to not obey him as Lord? And what are you missing out on as a result? So if the Lord is bringing something to mind, I would encourage you just to repent of that, acknowledge that to him, confess that to him, and then say yes to him as God, as King and Lord over that area.
And maybe the Lord is stirring in your heart a desire to set aside time to be with him and to spend time in his word. And so, Lord, would you stir that desire in us and would you speak to us from your scriptures that we would be more and more shaped, our thinking and our choices would be more and more shaped by who you are as God and as Lord of our lives. We love you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining this conversation. So let's share our thoughts. Nate, do you have any? Oh, so you're going to look at me and make me for, go for Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> no, was giving I, you the chance to start. <laughs> honestly, when, when I was sitting back there, Alan, listening to your message, the, the thing that I found myself thinking most about was that idea of like the sovereign self. So yeah. as you know, mm-hmm. like I've been in youth ministry 17 years, just transitioned out. But as I've talked with young people, like that, kind of a way of thinking that worldview it's so incredibly prevalent now right it's like this thing that's also called moral relativism where we're the ones who make Mm -hmm. our own rules we determine what's right and it sounds so good but it's so problematic because Mm -hmm. a lot of times these things really start to clash so i don't know the thing that i just kept going back to is like man this thing that jesus invites us into yeah it actually kind of feels like freedom from the way of the world Right, because like I, I look at all the chaos happening out there, where everyone's like, "This is right." No, this is right. No, this is right. Like Jesus, it feels like he's actually saying, "Like, no, 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 th- this thing is right." And if you come here, you can stop engaging in all the fighting happening here. It's almost mm. like a playground with little kids. When suddenly yeah. a teacher comes in and establishes the rules, then everyone can enjoy the experience way more. <laughs> I know, and and I couldn't, I couldn't get over that. Like I, even though this story took place thousands of years ago the same issues that people were dealing with back then are the same exact yeah. issues we're dealing with today. Like, it's, such it's a relevant. Human thing. Yeah. I think there's also a tribalism there that I was starting to get into a little mm-hmm. bit that the Jewish leaders, I mean, they were, you know, it wasn't just they were theologically bothered, but I think there was a peer pressure mm. of, you know, you fit in there. And, right. you know, so they had to resist Jesus. And if one did, they all did. You know what I mean? There were, you can see in other conversations with Nicodemus and other religious leaders, the, the pressure right. of that. that I think that's, there's an, it is an odd combination. There's an individual mm-hmm. drivenness. And then in our culture, we also have this huge Conform. Po- polarity, right, where mm-hmm. you're a part of this tribe and this is how you think. Mm. And it's so odd to me that political parties on multiple issues that people will all agree on all those issues. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You would, we're, you know, that the tribalism is uh-huh. so huge too. And I don't, yeah. I think he, Jesus Lordship speaks to both of those, the power of both of those. That's such a good point. I love that separation. It gives clarity to the, the, the impulse, the, the, what's the word, the tendency inside of us, but yes. also that external yes. pressure and reality that we're inserted. Well, and, and, and thinking about these people Jesus was talking to, like, like it was more than just a spiritual thing. Like for them, it was their political mm-hmm. stuff and their spiritual stuff kind of all married together yep. into one package. And, and let's just be real, like that kind of stuff still happens today. Absolutely. And I don't know, it, it could be hard sometimes to be like, somebody who is earnestly trying to follow Jesus mm-hmm. when you've got maybe that thing that will confront you and say, hey, that's not what that actually looks like to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, like, I, I think I find myself thinking a lot in these situations, especially recently with everything going on 
across the country of this uh, little section from the book of Acts where like Paul is teaching the Bereans. And he's like, Paul teaches and it says, all right, and then the Bereans, they went back and they looked at the text to see if what Paul said actually matched up mm. with it. And I think mm. for us, as we really wrestle with like, man, like, all right, are we going to follow Jesus? What does this look like? What is Jesus calling us to do here? Instead of just accepting, you know, the party line or the spiritual line that we're fed, like, how often do we actually really go back to what Jesus says and what mm -hmm. God is calling us to do and say, like, what do you say? Mm. Right, because you're the one who makes the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, sorry. Go ahead. Get, no, no I was just going to say that makes me think of the point of how Jesus and mm -hmm. scriptures were made equal. And that was actually back in John chapter 2 that I, it was the passage I didn't get to those verses, but it, but it says that the disciples then believed scriptures and the words of Jesus. That's at the end of chapter two and so it's like the second time that john is bringing up this you know what scripture says and what jesus is saying and doing and putting that in that same uh value category so not only like you said not only he's saying i am god and the son of god but also the value of what i'm saying is compared to scripture and how conflicting for that time or what a an incredible claim for him to bring what his words to the value of the words the, of scripture, especially to the Pharisees. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, I think um, it's the fact that Jesus honors the scriptures mm -hmm. and that they point to him. Right. Right. It's not that they right, and that they're not elevated to the level he is, but they are. He's valuing them, but the Pharisees had completely missed the point. Um, but you're right; he does very much honor Scripture. Jesus does mm -hmm. in in his response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember yeah. one time I was having a conversation with somebody, and they said, "All right, what's the Word of God?" And I'm like, "Well, the Bible." They're like, "Wrong." I'm like, "What do you mean? That's not the Word of God." Like, the, they were like, "No, those are just words about the Word. Jesus is the Word, right? This is all mm -hmm. pointing to Him." And and I think. And I don't know if this is true for you guys, but like one of the most helpful things for me when I think about like the things God might be calling me to do or when I face different situations, it's not to go, well, what does the Bible say, right? You know, because it's, it's really easy if you go to the Old Testament and, you know, you just want to cherry pick different verses and that kind of stuff that might support maybe a response you want to give. Uh, I found it a lot more helpful to go like, all right, like we're Jesus here based on what I see him doing in scripture and how I see him treating people. What would he be doing? Right, and I go and I read these stories, and then all of the scripture kind of comes in light of who I know Jesus to be and His character, and that's been so liberating for me. That's huge. Um, because I, I mean, and you guys have probably seen this, where people have abused scripture. Really, you know, you just, here, here's a verse from Deuteronomy or from Leviticus, and mm -hmm. this suddenly is what God thinks about this. It's like, well, I don't know if it's that simple, right? And I love that you bring that up. That. Jesus is the word that he is the one who has been elevated and everything is pointing to him. Yep. Um, yeah, he didn't see it in any competing way. Right. He, he valued it, but he made the point of it is, I mean, he is the word, John yeah. says in one, John 1, but that the, the Bible is a trustworthy testimony that points us to him. But that's right. We got to look at 
any passage in the Old Testament, we have to look through the lens of Jesus yeah. and realize it's a progressive revelation, you know, that God is is dealing with, you know, you would deal with a four-year-old in a different way. You'd deal with a teenager in terms of laying down mm. the law, and you deal with a 25-year-old as a parent. So that totally makes sense that there would be different ways of God dealing with his people early on. And then later, it being it being yeah. you know different rather than looking at all of that through the same lens, and so I think that's mm-hmm. really that's re- I agree that's incredibly helpful to use Jesus. If Jesus is the point of Scripture, then let's use Him as the lens through which we you yeah. know make these these decisions. Yeah. When I, I think that even ties into just really this whole thing you were talking about in this sermon, right? Like of this idea of trusting, right? You know, what am I trusting here? Am am I trusting some words on a page or am I trusting the living son of God, right? There's there's a pretty big distinction between those two things for me. I don't, well, I'd be a little, I mean, I don't know if we need to make that distinct, that long a distinction because yes, it's words on the page that point, that tell us, that point us to Jesus. It's it's I I guess where I was going, I probably wasn't as clear. It's it's a trust that's rooted in relationship. Absolutely. Right? So so it's not just this, well, I, I intellectually agree with everything that's written here, so I'm going to trust it. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to trust Jesus because I know him. Mm. Yes. Right? I've got this, this relationship with the living son of God who is mm-hmm. at the right hand of the father. So because I know him, I can trust all this stuff here. Yeah. 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 And I think that's something that I really appreciated you laying out, that believing is listening mm-hmm. and aligning our lives and listening and is experiencing true life and just the progression, I think, because how can we listen or align our lives if we're not believing? But what is it to believe and how can we experience life and how Mm. one thing points to the other? And it's so funny, but the picture that came to my mind when you're preaching was my brother, because he's like super fan of this soccer team. And obviously Growing up as a teenager, he had all the decorations in the room. He knew all about the players. You know, there are several examples that we know in our lives of people that are that way. Um, And he was really devoted to that soccer team. If anybody would ask me what soccer team I cheered for, I had to say that one because Mm -hmm. it was my brother. But I knew nothing about them. I didn't watch any game. But, well, it's in the family. (laughs) That's what I'm open to. But he lived his life for that team and went to the games. And, you know, so as you're describing, I was like, wow, there are so many things in life that I can apply this to or illustrate this concept of what does it really look like Mm. to believe? What does it really look like to listen? And how Mm. before I can get here to the, you know, application or aligning my life, like where is my heart to begin with, mm. which is back to the, I think the self, um, what was the word? Um, sovereign, sovereign self. Thank you. The sovereign self. Uh, and I think part of this, you know, journey is this uh, posture of surrendering mm. and, and coming in humility and, admitting it it's not about me it's about you jesus and that humble posture of surrender i think is the foundation of us believing and then being able to listen and being able to align our lives and being able to experience life yeah so that was what i was reflecting on yeah yeah it's really hard to do that i think for people right Mm -hmm. and even for us that's still hard right this is is a daily choice that we all have to make Mm-hmm. But I think 
I think when we do it, that, that's where we experience the freedom that Jesus offers us, right? That's mm-hmm. where we experience the life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know whenever I try to kind of hang on to that sovereign self and think my way is the right way, uh, nine times out of ten, it's not. Things, up end up, <laughs> things end up way worse for me. <laughs> but when I surrender to Jesus and, you know I, know, I know I need to do this more, like, even when things don't go the way that I thought they should, they end up being better, and I find joy in that. Um, I don't know. I want more of that. Yeah. I do too. I mean, I just think of, yeah, the example of the day of just my anger just kind of popping up and getting triggered and just looking back on that, like, why did I just erupt in this anger? You know what I mean? You sort of think, what would it look like to to pause in that moment mm-hmm. and actually surrender to Jesus and, and to draw my identity from him? Because when our sovereign self gets poked then anger when we don't get our way we don't like it or we're disrespected and we, right. we thought we should have you know then that emerges in mm-hmm. such a powerful way and it's it's all back to that same thing i just i want to be king i want to be god you know and i want to be sovereign here and let everyone else right. kind of deal with it um and that's just not a very fun way to live because it ends <laughs> up destroying relationships you know yeah. well, i think this is why all throughout scripture like we're continually told, look to Christ, right? Look to Christ right. because I, I think when we take our eyes off Jesus, we forget that he's actually a really good king. Mm. Yeah. Right? Because when we know we have a good king, exactly. we don't want to be king anymore. That's such a good point. We just get to rest yeah. with him. But when we look away, we forget. Well, you know, it's Adam and even the garden, right? They, they had it really great in mm-hmm. chapter two. Um, and it was when they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? This... Who's going to be judge? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to. I'll eat this tree. I'll be able to determine what's right and wrong. Right. And so that's that was the initial sin was them stepping into that place of being judge. Mm. And look yeah. what happened. Look the, the damage it caused. Versus before when they were content to let God take care of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, they could enjoy every other tree. And yeah, yeah. yeah. We've That's been struggling true. with that ever since. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are good things to sit on and reflect on, think about. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you for joining us, and have a good rest of your day.